Picks Mix is brought to you by the Arrow Meta Show on Liberated Syndication and YouTube.com forward slash Arrow Meta Show and is also in association with the Old School Lane podcast. Picks Mix is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with the Arrow Meta Show. Hello and welcome to uh, Picks Mix with Aaron and Patricia. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Ah, thank you, monsieur. Or, uh, <laughs> or should I? Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah. that pretty much just tells you about what the random wheel has uh, given us for today's episode of Picks Mix. And you can tell which one of us is the European. <laughs> yes, I am clearly not European whatsoever. Yeah, I have to say, when this came up on the random wheel, I was my heart just leapt up into the clouds. I really, utterly, and you know, really, really love. This film, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do Picks Mix because I'm going to enjoy talking about this film. Yes, and uh, considering of what we had to go through throughout these last two episodes of Picks Mix, this is something we really, really needed. So thank you, Random Wheel. Les rêves des amoureux sont comme le bon vin. Ils donnent de la joie ou bien du chagrin. What can we say about Ratatouille, which isn't just gleaming with gold? This film is romantic, this film is funny, this film has characters we love, and this film has a protagonist we can always root for, no matter whereabouts he's standing in the film. And uh, it's just, everything about this, I think, is definitely going to be, definitely, you know, cased in gold, I think, what we have to say about this. Absolutely spectacular. Absolutely. This is a good example on how to do a cowardly and doofy protagonist. Take notes, Arlo. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's start off by talking about the short. And uh, the short was lifted. And uh, I think to put it in uh, uh, kind of like uh, the, the easiest way to describe it, it's basically an alien taking a driving test. Yeah, pretty much so. It's it's as basic as you can get with uh, a Pixar short. Um, it's it's really nice, I have to say. Definitely not one of my favorites, but it's uh, pretty decent nonetheless. Yeah. So uh, I really liked how he's trying to get, get uh, you know, uh, trying to have the the instructor trying to drive him, and like so he's like he's like picking like he's like oh he's like surrounded by all these millions of switches. And, uh, you know, in a way you kind of sympathize with him because, let me safely say that, if I had a console like that, uh, you know, I can't say, not to say that, so the Arrow Show uh, console doesn't look like that, it does have lots, loads of knobs and switches and stuff, but, <laughs> you know, like, so in a way I kind of sympathize with him, but, uh, you know, the, the trying to drive a spaceship like that, I would ultimately struggle, and I don't even think I'd get past the theory, let alone the practical, so... Uh... Yeah, that is true. <laughs> it's like, um, if you were playing Steel Battalion for the first time on the original Microsoft Xbox or Xbox 360. And you are saying, okay, you're going to control this huge, gigantic tank. You have this controller that has like 30 buttons and knobs and switches. Control it. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? And mm. it's just incredibly confusing. But if you get the hang of it, it's somewhat decent. But yeah, 
um, you can definitely relate to this character because he's just trying to know the um, the knowabouts of a spaceship, trying to learn how to drive. And it, it's actually kind of um, SpongeBob-esque when he takes his uh, driving test with Mrs. Puff. Mm-hmm. So the young alien is called Stu, and uh, the, uh, the the driving instructor is, uh, well, the, the alien instructor is called Mr. B. And he gives a stolic expression uh, throughout the entire skit, and uh, it gets to the point where he uh, does bring in the... So what they're trying to do is there's a human inside the uh, this country house, and they're trying to abduct him. And uh, it doesn't go very well because he bashes him into walls, he gets bashed all around the house, and even though he's still asleep. And uh, he does eventually manage to get him inside the ship, but then clumsily drops him uh, in during his uh, moment of arrogance, uh, saying that he finally did it, uh, to the point where Mr. B has to leap into the rescue to stop him from falling to his death. And then he basically puts the whole house back together, and uh, it's uh, poor little Stew is very downbeat about it, uh, but uh, as um, uh, as a uh, token of, uh, of, I guess, of... Uh, uh, you know, he's making not making him feel so useless. Uh, he gives him control of the ship, and he crashes it into the floor. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. they, they whatever they did with this, they did everything with it, and so it was a really good way to start. I think uh, to get us all excited for Ratatouille. So uh, very good. Yeah, short. definitely. It, it's definitely a nice lead way into the main attraction, as opposed to the short being the best thing about it, and then the movie is just a complete bore. Mm-hmm. So that brings us into Ratatouille, and uh, we start off with the opening, with uh, which is basically some dialogue of. Uh, so you get this TV coming up, uh, basically setting the premise that we're in France. It uh, has the best food in the world, and uh, no one is better than Augustus Cousteau, who is uh, a well-renowned five-star chef. Now, there is uh, an error here because there is no such thing as a five-star restaurant. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Michelin stars only go up to three, I believe. So, uh, but, uh, you know, in this world, there are five-star restaurants, apparently, and Augustus Gusto owns one of them. So, uh, we'll go with that. And so... Hey, if we can believe... If we can... If we can, you know, um, suspend our disbelief with cars that are in their own universe and dinosaur farmers, I think that five-star restaurants is the least of our worries. Yes, but this is like the one of the very few, you know, problems with the film. But uh, that's just me being picky. So, um, yeah, so that's that's just me. But uh, anyway, we're introduced to Augustus Gusto, and uh, he's a very young budding chef. And uh, we're also introduced to, I guess, we would say the villain of the film, which is Anton Ego who is a very uh, uh, very dastardly food critic and uh, he be- so while Augustus Gusto believes that anyone can cook and he even writes a book to that matter Anton Ego doesn't believe anyone can do it and that sort of sets the premise of the film and uh, I think that was a it was a very good setup I must say uh, to uh, for the for the beginning before we get the uh, before we get the title of the film and so yeah yes absolutely because He's not exactly a villain, but he's sort of an obstacle to overcome. And, you know, especially nowadays with critics, they're always picky. They're always looking at details and saying that it's unacceptable. So because we are in a society where critics are everywhere, video game critics, movie critics, TV show critics, what have you, we can definitely um, relate to um, when um, Linguini... Um, is preparing the food for the critic, which we'll discuss about much later in the end. But yeah, it's definitely 
um, gives a nice little um, introduction to a character that we do know is going to be coming back as opposed to like showing up completely out of nowhere and then there were the immediate bad guy. Mm-hmm. So the movie then shifts to Remy, who is a, a Parisian rat who lives in an attic in a French country home uh, owned by an old woman and uh, his brother Emile and also led, led by his father, fa- father Django. Uh, get, Remy is gifted with his sense of smell, which uh, becomes even uh, more even more amazing because he manages to uncover rat poison and uh, saves his entire family of being basically poisoned to death. So that leaves Django to give him a job where he is then uh, basically charged to make sure that all food and garbage is all clean. So uh, I think this is very interesting because it uh, brings in the uh, the uh, pr- brings in the protagonist into uh, it makes him realize he's in a situation where he you know he has to basically abide by his fa- his father's rules and uh, he has to basically abide by his father's you know ways. And so, and he's sort of kind of rebelling against that as like, uh, you know, as as as, far, as sons do with their fathers uh, and also with their families as well. So I think uh, it was, it's a very, they put him, Remy, in a, a very relatable situation and that was a very good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Considering that they're a group of rats and they mostly stick together because they are able to get food together. They're able to live in the same location. So they have to abide by a set of rules in which you have to do it this way or else you're going to be uh, breaking tradition or you're going to get caught by humans. And as we've seen um, earlier in a later in a scene in which um, it, it does become really apparent that they have to be really extra careful, but, yeah, it definitely puts Remy into a corner that his obsession with food and him wanting to become the best, especially since he's been watching Gusto's uh, cooking show and he knows about the restaurant, um, it, it just becomes apparent that he's stuck in um, his father's ways and having to help the rats sniff out the poison of foods and eating nothing but garbage and not knowing and appreciating fresh food. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I mean, it's very good social commentary, I must say, because uh, it's I mean there are families out there who are so um, you know, they, they I mean my I was very lucky because I'm in a family where you know where my dad allows me to kind of you know be myself and uh, you know has uh, basically give, you know instilled like you know kind of I would not I would say like liberal values I would say you know the uh, the, the you know to be happy in life and to be able to do what you want and so it's uh you know within reason and so but there are a lot of families out there who are kind of like you know in remy's situation where this is the way things are this is what you have to do and you have to basically conform into this but uh, there is also obviously pushback by you know this this other generation and so i think it provides very i think i think it provides very good commentary on that part in my opinion no not only that but if you remember from like around the 50s and 60s especially in america that everything was already pre-made and everything was store-bought and the concept of freshly cooked foods was pretty much almost non-existent because it was time consuming and it was kind of like a lost art in a way and um you know the likes of various um famous uh, chefs like julia child was able to introduce um 
cooking in an easier way relevant again. And then eventually we had the likes of the Food Network, which it, it couldn't have been a coincidence that this came out roughly around the same time in which the Food Network was already gaining its huge popularity. I remember reading in a magazine a long time ago about how cooking shows were in, about how people would be watching shows like um, 30 Minute Meals or Everyday Italian or Emeril Lagasse and about how they would be fascinated by a, a palette of learning how to cook fancy foods in at home as opposed to like going out into a restaurant or buying prepackaged foods. Yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of in a way in which, you know, we have this family who's set on tradition eating garbage and then Remy, who's like the optimistic rat wanting to venture out into the world and experiencing food the way that it should be. Um, be preserved, and it's it's actually a really fascinating um, observation. Yeah, it feels really weird, Patricia, because you know this this film actually came out eleven years ago, and it feels kind of weird reminiscing at that point. It feels so far away, but this this film for me still feels relevant today. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do definitely agree. It still definitely holds up. Yeah. So Remy dislikes garbage, and uh, and so he's uh, saying to uh, to his father, "Why are we? You know, if no one wants this garbage, why are we eating it, and why are we stealing it?" And uh, that obviously becomes a different point of view. And so you can uh, see that Remy uh, is going into the kitchen. He's sort of becoming uh, different from his uh, from all of the other members of his family and his friends, and uh, he's starting to. Uh, um, uh, he's going to watch television, he's starting to read, uh, he starts to kind of develop into, I guess, kind of doing human things. And he gets to a point where he then wants to cook something, and he discovers this mushroom in uh, in, in the back garden. And with his help uh, of uh, a meal, they cook a uh, mushroom cheese uh, with rosemary and... Uh, and they cook it up on the top of the uh, on top of the roof. Uh, lightning strikes, and uh, the, that's pretty much our first hilarious moment of the uh, of the film, where uh, basically Remy and Emil are struck by lightning. So uh, yes, yeah. and it, and it gets into our first conflict as well, in which um, when the when lightning struck, and then there's like this huge hole, and the old lady discovers that there's like this enormous amount of rats that have been hiding in her house the whole time. And she just screams and the rats had to run away. It's like, how would you imagine if you found out after all this time living in your house or apartment or whatever that you live in, that there was like all this vermin living under your nose and you didn't even know about it. This this film is full of shocks. And I tell you what, every single one of them pays off big time. And uh, I tell you what, the, the old woman actually makes me really laugh because uh, she reminds me of Elmer Fudd. Uh, you know, it's like, because she's there with that shotgun and uh, she's so trigger happy. And uh, it's just, it's so much fun to watch her. And she has that kind of Elmer Fuddness. Uh, of her and uh, it's like you know be very quiet I'm hunting rats eh. <laughs> 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 oh that was wonderful so he, she chases out all the rats uh, the rats go to uh, these uh, pre-prepared boats which I thought was a bit kind of I guess you know I guess they function as this kind of society I guess and so they yeah, kind of like sure. come prepared for like every single possibility which is uh, uh, pretty interesting makes a lot of sense. I mean we've seen a lot of movies and cartoons about rats and about how they have their own little society. So, eh, I, I can I can accept it. Yeah. When did Flushed Away come out? Oh, that's a good question. I think it came out like around, I'm going to guess either 2002 or 2003. Let me just look it up right now. Yeah, I think, because uh, I got thinking that, oh, 2006, apparently. Oh, wow, never wow. mind then. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way off. Yeah. So, this, so, yeah. so Flushed Away came out a year before Ratatouille, Ratatouille. came out, yeah. That's uh, that's that's weird to think about that. 
So, yeah, but then again, we all, we've also had like Secret of Nim, uh, an American Tale. Oh yeah, and um, those that first Titanic movie. Oh yeah, those those awful Titanic films. Uh, yeah, mind you, I'm really you know the fact that Remy is a rat, you know, that's kind of surprising to me because you know you would think that Disney would look at that and think there should only be like one rodent that's iconic within the Disney franchise. And like you know, you think you think they do more to protect him and not have another rat and not have another like yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, well, I guess it makes a lot of sense because Mickey Mouse is an anthropomorphic mouse that is shaped like if he was like a small person, but Remy is a rat, like a realistic looking rat, mm. and it's done by Pixar. So I guess for some people, it's like oh, we can make room for more than one rat or something. So yeah. Um, Eh, I'm not too um, I'm not too scuffled about it to be quite honest. Okay, so the next day, uh, so I mean, the, after this has all happened, uh, they have this old massive chase scene, and uh, apparently there's supposed to be like a reference to Pirates of the Caribbean when they go into the tunnel because apparently there's supposed to be like this small uh, small whisper of when they're going in, and it says "Dead Men Tell No Tales" or something like that. Yeah, but... yeah, that that is a reference to the I believe the ride, not so much the movie. Oh, okay, then that's fine. Because so... I've been to the rides a couple of times because I've been to Disney World and. Um, you ride around in like a tunnel like area. You you hear the pirates sing. You you know hear the tale that they say about dead men tell no tales. Uh, Davy Jones Locker and all that kind of stuff. So I guess they're referencing more of the rides as opposed to the actual movies with you know Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. So uh, Remy and uh, his family gets us split apart, and uh, they uh, so um, Remy ends up having to sail. Uh, alone on uh, a, a cookbook, which he rescued from the from the kitchen, and uh, he's um, so then he ends up getting lost, and uh, he waits around for them to see if they come back, and uh, throughout that time he ends up looking through the book, and uh, then comes to life our uh, I guess our spirit guide, which is uh, the uh, a reimagination of Gusteau. Uh, who would, uh, by the way, we we've got to mention that, so spoilers, uh, Gusto passes away uh, during the fir- during the beginning of the film. So um, then, uh, so then he comes, he's basically reimagined in Remy's mind as this kind of spirit guide to uh, to talk to when he's lonely. So, yes, uh, and it's really clever because it's not Gusto coming back to life; it's Remy's imagination having him as a spiritual guide whenever that he feels lonely or whenever that he feels defeated with um, various things that are going to happen later on in the movie. So yeah, it's nice to have like a little companion because for the most part, Remy is by himself until he meets up with Linguini, but even then they don't really talk to each other. They don't understand each other. It's it's not like um, in a lot of cartoons in which like, you know, for some reason, um, humans and animals can be able to talk to one another. So it, it actually plays a lot more realistic in that sense. So uh, with the exception of maybe his father and his brother and all the other rats, that spirit is the only companion that he pretty much talks to and interacts with. Yeah. So he, so his uh, imagination has, uh, convinces Remy to uh, go up and have a look around, and he does. He goes into this apartment building where he meets up with all these... Uh, uh, these montages, and uh, so he ends up in uh, a party, and uh, he's about to eat something. And uh, this, this bit actually kind of confused me a little bit because uh, you know he, uh, he, Gusto convinces him not to eat food, which uh, in his mind, and uh, he's uh, and but Remy says, "Well, I am hungry to eat something." And you think that uh, you know, as a survival instinct, he would just go, you know, he would ignore 
uh, what's in his mind, but uh, then he just says, oh, food will come, food will come to those who love to cook, but it's like, well, if you've got no food to cook with in the first place, how on earth do you, you know, eat? So Yeah, that is true, that is a little bit confusing. I guess yeah. maybe um, if he would have maybe, like, been in the kitchen to look for something, or maybe, like, when the crowds are a little bit more smaller and maybe there's like little crumbs left that somebody dropped, maybe he could have grabbed something. Maybe it would have been a little bit more clever if he snuck around like that, but no, just him being out in the open eating food and then he gets caught and he just gets chased around. It's like, yeah, it's a little bit confusing. It's like, follow your intuition and instinct, but I, I can't, but you know, try to do it anyways. Yeah, that 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 was a bit of a weird uh, scene for me. So uh, we get a um, we get a uh, up reference uh, because um, uh, oh, what's his what's the dog's name? I completely forgot. Uh, Doug. Doug's uh, Doug makes a uh, first reference uh, indicating what uh, up's gonna be or what the dog up's gonna look like, and uh, then we get uh, this scene with uh, two people fighting and a shin a gun going off and. Uh, that goes into uh, some kind of romantic scene, which uh, obviously we're having all of us uh, roll our eyes out, including the including Remy. So that was pretty fun. And uh, but you know, during this whole thing, the the one thing I really love about it is the music. The music is beautiful. And oh, absolutely! It's it's gorgeous music, and done by Michael uh, Giacchino, who has done various movies and even some with Pixar like Ratatouille. And I think he even did up as well, which is also fantastic music. And uh, let's see, he did inside out. He did Coco. So yeah, he, him alongside with, um, Randy Newman, they're known for doing a lot of great music for Pixar. Mm -hmm. And uh, they definitely, every, every single note, in my opinion, was just, I just love the soundtrack. And I remember when uh, the soundtrack actually came out and I downloaded it. It was my, my, my first, when I got my new iPod, my new iPod, uh, I actually, it was actually one of the first uh, albums I actually downloaded for it. And uh, I, I used to play it every time I used to uh, walk back and forth from college. You know, I really, really loved the, uh, loved the sound of it. And um, so... Um, so we get to the, he gets to the top of the roof and he realizes that this entire time he's been in Paris and the view and the graphics and everything, how it all comes up. You just, you get caught up in the moment. I remember when I saw it in the, in the, in the theater and I was just really, really involved in it. And, uh, you know, you, you really feel like Remy on top of that rooftop, seeing out to the whole beauty of, of, of Paris. Now, whether Paris is that beautiful or not, I'm not actually not, actually not sure. But, um, you know, the, it was such a beautiful moment to be caught up in. And, uh, you know, you're, he's wide-eyed, you're wide-eyed. And, yeah, it's, uh, a be- a beautiful, it's my, one of my favorite scenes in the film. It's really beautiful. Absolutely. I I love the colors. I love the designs of France. It it really makes you feel like you're there. Mm -hmm. So he finds Gusto's restaurant and uh, Gusto. uh, I love this bit with Gusto. Like um, Remy says, oh, you've led me to your restaurant. And Gusto just, oh, seems I have. Yeah, here you are. (laughs) 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 I meant to take you there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I needed to do. So. Um, Romy gets to see um, the, the the restaurant operate, and inside it is uh, our other, I, I guess, our supporting uh, character, Alfredo Linguini. And I will tell you what, I thought he was when I first heard him. I thought he was played by oh, I've completely forgotten his name. Who's the guy who plays Napoleon Dynamite? In, oh, uh, oh, um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, 
it's funny because I, I actually met uh, the other guy a few years ago who played as Pedro. Um, let me see if I can remember him because I do remember. Um, was it John uh, Heater? That's jo- what I was. John Heater. Yeah, I thought John Heater was playing him uh, for one, at one point. I thought, oh wow, they got uh, John Heater for this, but no, it's actually played in house. It's actually one of their guys. Who plays? Oh, oh uh, yeah, it's pr- yeah. I, it, it is um not surprising because a lot of um people in Pixar at one point did various minor characters or major characters in house. Yeah, Lou Romano, his name is, and so yeah, Lou uh, Romano. yeah. I think he also uh, plays. Uh, I think he plays other characters as well. I think uh, as well. I think so. Yeah, side, side characters. But yeah, you know. So uh, I'll tell you what. This was a uh, this was interesting actually because um you know um obviously you know you have Remy. But you know the the majority of the cast are are, are humans, so you think there would be probably more dialogue uh, related round um, Linguini than there would be of Remy for obvious reasons. So I'm really surprised they really went with uh, you know Lou Romano and didn't go with uh, didn't try to go with anybody else. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it, I mean Patton Oswalt is the voice of Remy, so they could have easily made. Um, you know, him as Linguini or something like that, because you're right. It it is a movie that is focusing on human characters, which, um, you know, Brad Bird was the first one who did it in Pixar because every other movie before that were featuring cars, bugs, um, toys, uh, monsters, a whole bunch of characters. But then he did the Incredibles years prior, which focused mostly on a human cast. And then, um, then he came back a few years later and he did Ratatouille mm-hmm. and it mostly featured a human cast. So, um, Linguini is looking for a job and, uh, he hands, uh, our, uh, I guess our other antagonist of the film, Skinner, uh, who's played by Ian Holm of Bilbo Baggins, uh, uh, fame. And uh, he's um, he, so he he has a mother called uh, uh, Ratana, and uh, she's recently passed away. And I, I love how that reveal was brought in. Like uh, um, Skinner basically goes, "Oh, Renata, how is she?" And he's uh, and uh, Linguini's like, "Oh, good. Well, kind of. It's like, well, she's been better." And then uh, um, the sous chef comes around and says, "He died. She died." <laughs> and uh, that was just a really good way to you know to kind of announce that. And he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." So, um, Linguini manages on that part to get to be a garbage boy in, um, in, in the kitchen, and Remy's just uh, watching the whole thing play out, and uh, so he gets to see all the uh, chefs do that, and then uh, it gets to a point where Linguini accidentally knocks over the soup, and, uh, it, and then um, you, you can see Linguini trying to put the soup back together again, and, um, and Remy's wondering what he's doing, and... Uh, Gusto is with him the entire time saying, oh, well, you know, as I said, anyone can cook. And uh, Remy's like, well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So, and then Linguini uh, basically demonstrates that pretty well. So uh, Yeah, exactly. Like, um, going back into the Food Network, there's a TV show called Worst Cooks in America. And if you watch that show and you see all the disgusting things that these people prepare, and some in such the most, just the most ridiculous ways that they prepare food, like, I'm not even joking. There's like, um, let's see, there's microwave ramen burritos, uh, cooking a a whole chicken in the microwave, thinking it'll be prepared, stuffing it with vegetables, um, just a whole bunch of just, oh, and peanut butter, chili, and um, jelly spaghetti. It's just so weird. It's it's true. Like, just because you think you know how to cook doesn't mean that you should. And 
it's apparent that there's a lot of people who really cannot cook for the life of them. Yeah. So Remy gets really uh, agitated about the fact that uh, Linguini's ruining the soup and uh, to the point where he knocks himself through the window and lands in the kitchen itself. And uh, I, lo- I, I like this bit because it gets to show you through like the whole kitchen and shows you through the dining area and uh, Ling- you know, Remy gets that kind of like that, uh, that view from it. But, uh, you know, he's obviously trying to basically escape and get out before he ends up, ends up getting killed. So, um, that's, um, I mean, that, that's, I, I can see that kind of playing out for like, uh, you know, like the, you know, the, I don't know if this film was, was released in 3D or not, but, uh, if it was, I think that's probably what it was, that the whole scene was kind of somewhat there for, but mind you, it wasn't as apparent as, you know, like say for example, monsters versus aliens. So, uh, True, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the scene in which, um, Remy recreates, uh, the recipe that he remembered of, um, the, potato and leek soup is actually one of the most famous scenes in the movie. In fact, so much so that the ratatouille that is featured and that the, the movie's named after is, um, you know, just as well known as the soup itself. And they actually recreated uh, the soup and the ratatouille um, in an episode of Dinner Impossible when they were having a Pixar theme and they were cooking dishes based off of Finding Nemo uh, Ratatouille and Cars, and those two dishes were actually made in honor of the movie. Mm-hmm. So um, Remy is about to escape, but uh, then finds the um, the soup is actually uh, you know making him uh, you know regurgitate. So he decides to go back and fix it. And uh, mind you, I don't know this this bit felt kind of strange to me because um, it was like you know there's this really disgusting soup, and somehow uh, you know um, Remy just manages to just throw in a couple of things to make like to fix it. And uh, maybe that's just to show how clever he is as a cook, but um, I don't know. It just felt, it just felt kind of weird, really. That I thought, yeah, you know, for me, if something stunk that that horribly, I would have started over. But yeah, um, I would have started over as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey, he's more he's more of a cook than us. So I don't know, who are we to complain? Yeah, yeah, he, he puts <laughs> us to shame. Isn't that great? Isn't that the best thing about Remy though? Is that you can actually believe what he, you know, the fact that he he you can see that he's actually you know wanting so to be desperate in his uh, you know to become a cook. You know, he's actually believable. And, yeah, uh, yeah he, he absolutely. And it. the fact that the only way he was able to learn how to cook was from watching cooking shows and tasting the food himself and learning about how food works. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's one of the most important things about being a chef is you need to know about where your food comes from and how properly to prepare it. Yeah. So this whole montage begins with him making the soup and then ends with Linguini hilariously finding him uh, before dropping in the uh, the final ingredients. And uh, it, it comes to the point where Skinner storms through the kitchen asking where the soup is and uh, Linguini uh, catches um, Le- Remy in a, in a colander but it's too late to do anything about it and realize. And then Skinner c- puts basically all the things together and uh, wrongly thinks that uh, uh, um, Linguini is cooking something. And so uh, he uh, threatens to draw in and quarter him and says that the law's on his side. <laughs> and that bit was actually kind of funny. And uh, yeah. then uh, the waiter comes in, takes some of the soup and puts it in the dish and uh, takes it out to the takes it out to the dining room uh, to uh, everyone's uh, horror to everyone's horror. And uh, so Skinner comes has comes out to to the dining room to um you know to basically shouting no and uh, oh it was just that's that bit in itself was. this is the great thing about this you know i could probably go through every single time i laughed and there's just so many of them 
And uh, that, that's, yeah, that's the great a, thing about this. It's a legitimately hilarious movie with really funny scenes that it's still remembered in any, uh, if you bring up any memorable moment from Pixar movies, Ratatouille def- definitely does have a few um, awesome scenes that people still remember. Yeah. So the soup ends up in the in the lap, well, not in the lap, but on, on the table of a food critic, Celine Leclerc. And uh, she uh, asks the waiter to come back and wants to see the chef. And uh, you think this is the point where uh, Linguini is really going to get his ass handed to him. But in actual fact, she likes the soup and uh, everyone pats uh, Linguini on the back for uh, for doing it. So um, Skinner's about to fire, but though Skinner's about to fire Linguini for doing it, but um, Colette steps in, which is the she's the only female chef in the uh, in 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 the kitchen and cook in the kitchen. Sorry, and um, she basically says, "How can you fire him uh, when we have to hold hold uh, Ling- uh, Gusto's uh, most cherished belief and that is that anyone can cook." And uh, she pretty much leads the kitchen into uh, keeping Linguini, but ends up herself now having to take care of this, uh, basically, this rookie that's basically had a, uh, basically taken a bold risk. So, right. And she's voiced by Janine Garofalo. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's awesome. And yeah. So- and, and I did a, po- a podcast uh, a few weeks ago about uh, the Fox Animation Studios trilogy. And I we talked about Janine Garofalo, and she plays as one of the main uh, characters from Titan AE. And she wasn't really utilized very well. The only thing that she did was that she showed up in a handful of scenes constantly yelling and then talking about, um, you know, being pretty angry at one of the main um, act, uh, main characters, Preed. And uh, then she shows up again in the end, helping with the gunfight against um, the Dredge. So, yeah, I guess this is um, a great example on how to take um, a role and and elevate it a lot more, especially since we know that Janine Carofalo can act. Um, it's just that in Titan AE, it was done kind of half-hazard... I can speak haphazardly and um with ratatouille is actually done really well it actually builds a nice relationship between her and linguini this is this was uh, i think this was uh, janine garofalo's uh, redemption i think uh, yes. because from 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 titan ae i think this uh, this film uh, showcased her in probably the best in in the best way and uh, Colette's the you know was a was a is a is a great character to uh, to to put her in that in that situation and uh, and and it shows throughout how you know how strong and stern she was and how hilarious she can be at the same time and yes. uh, so um, we well, anyway we're, we're going a bit ahead of the game um, Linguini catches Remy and um, everyone fi- finds out that there's actually right in the kitchen and uh, so Linguini takes Remy away far away from the kitchen so that no one suspects a thing and is about to uh, throw him in the river and then I, I love that I do like this scene though because they have this eye contact and uh, you know it's like will he or won't he throw it in the in the river but you kind of know he wasn't going to do it anyway and uh, but it still it still made you believe it which was which was really good and then Linguini just breaks down and says oh you know they expect me to make it again and uh, you know now here I'm talking to a rat my whole life's crazy and stuff like that and she, she says just breaks down and says, oh, I really need this job. And so we end up with the situation where uh, Remy agrees to team up with Linguini to recreate the soup and to try and save Linguini's job. So Yeah, uh, and he does it by going on top of his head and pulling his hair so that he can be able to use him like a puppet. It's just 
uh, pull one strand of hair, controls his left arm and his right arm. And everybody thinks that Linguini is the one who's doing all the cooking, when in reality, it's Remy who's doing all the work. I'm just really glad they didn't end up with, uh, you know, Remy being shoved down, you know, um, uh, Linguini's pants. Let's just <laughs> let's just be glad that wasn't. <laughs> I remember yeah, seeing that. That, that could have like, been the easiest thing to do. That would have been. That, yeah. that already but, is a cliche in itself. When when, when he when he lifted when when he lifted uh, his his when he lifted his pants up and uh, you know you could see his Incredibles underwear and like uh, back in another reference and you just see you see Remy's face and he's just like yeah do not do this <laughs> it's just like, oh God. <laughs> the the whole fit it was laughing I, I was laughing as well it's just like, it was that was a that was brilliant. And so uh, they they burst into the well, before all that happens they burst into the kitchen and they don't know what they're doing and so uh, Remy's biting him every time he makes a mistake and obviously that doesn't work out very well and then uh, they they're just having this uh, hilarious this is the great thing about about Ratatouille there's the physical comedy that's involved in it and it, it's not really dialogue driven it's just so th- it's like uh, it's like Charlie Chaplin and uh, it's like. Uh, um, the 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 comedy is being directed through the motion rather than being directed solely through the through um, the dialogue. dialogue. Yeah, and I think that what makes I think that's what makes it so intelligent as a as a as a comedy because it can be shown on the screen to make you laugh rather than you know because you know what basically the routine is. Yeah, so. and I guess they would use this a year later when doing um, Wally, in which they can be able to tell the story through little to no talking and just letting the emotions and the atmosphere do all the work and portraying what it's going on. I'd be interested to see if uh, if Wally was sorry if Ratatouille was an inspiration for Wally. You know, the the the, the physical aspects rather than the. Uh you know, the, the dialogue aspect. I'd be interested to see if that was, if that played like a, you know, because that's part of me that believes it did, you know, and... Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised. I mean, both um, Ratatouille and Wally, they came out a year apart, so I wouldn't be surprised that maybe around the same time they were working on Ratatouille, they were working on Wally as well, and so they were taking both of those elements and kind of doing something different with it. Yeah. So they discover that uh, Remy can be controlled by pulling strands of his hair, and uh, I don't know, the the... the the, the, it is done for. I know it is done for com, for, com, for comedic value, but there's sort of no consistency to it because how does he know when to control him walking and when does he like he pulls like certain strands of hair and things and um, I guess maybe he like went through it. Did he go right through every single strand of hair? To like figure out which yeah, one controls what. I mean, they make it look like they've been training like this for a long time. So I guess maybe he pulls in like different parts of his hair to control each and every single motion. Um, yeah, it's it's not really explained, but we can assume that that's what's going on. There's a hilarious piece of fan art with, uh, and it's a bit adult, but it's a Linguini and Colette in bed. And uh, like uh, he's got like Remy at the top, like still pulling strands of his hair, and like uh, college is like saying, "This is a bit awkward." And it's like uh, he's like, "Well, I can put the toque back on." So it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's, that's all. Deviant art will never get boring. <laughs> it will never get boring. <laughs> but anyway, um, so anyway, I think we just kind of skipped ahead a little bit about what was going to happen. But uh, yeah, I think you've already seen the right movie already. Um, yeah. So. Um, 
we have that scene, and uh, not the bedroom scene, the uh, the the scene where we're controlling Sandra's hair, and so um, they they do that, and they pull pull that off, and then they can make this finally make the soup because they come comes kind of they come to that compromise. So then they get Colette as uh, as a trainer, and she is very she was trying to stab Linguini, which is. Uh, that in itself is pretty hilarious. And he says, you know, there's only reason why you only see, you know, one female in this kitchen because I'm the toughest out of the lot of them. And uh, she basically puts her foot down very quickly. And uh, I, I do like that. And uh, the the one thing I do like about the Linguini-Colette relationship in the in the beginning is that you can actually see it starting to, like, you know, warm up. And so it gets re- it's really cold to start off with, but then they start to kind of understand each other as people. And uh, you can tell it's definitely going in that direction. Of like you know being yes. this um, you know they you know basically shipping these two together, and uh, you know it's like and it's actually is one of my fa- you know if I'd say my top favorite three ships uh, of all time, I think I'd definitely have to say Arnold and Helga, uh, Colette and Linguini, and Fox and Crystal from Star Fox from Star Fox you know video game, and so those are my top three. So um, you know so for me like um, seeing Linguini and Colette kind of like uh, evolve in this relationship is. Uh, Really fun to watch, uh, and mixed within that is uh, Skinner. He's you know he's uh, is dangerous that you know he could become quite forgettable, but uh, then you realise that uh, you know uh, you know Remy is still you know hated by humans and things like that, and Skinner is no exception to that. So um, he becomes uh, you know interested that uh, he's trying to taunt him with the rat, and that he's still keeping him around and stuff. But then it becomes even more imperative when he finally discovers that uh, the will um, that um, you know the will stipulates that if uh, um, Gusto has any living children, that that, that uh, the the restaurants and the business uh, will be moved on to him. And uh, then we discover duh, 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 that uh, there's a possibility that Linguini could be Gusto's son. Right. Yeah. And to and to be quite honest, um, even though that it is a really huge reveal, it, it doesn't really play too much in the story. Mm. I mean, Linguini never learns about that he's um, Gusto's son and that he technically owns the rights to the restaurant. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just think it's well, in a way, it is kind of big because you know it's the it's what kind of carried on the story into the uh, into the second act. But uh, I mean, it's. Um... So yeah, for me that was um, that was uh, that, that was you know that was wow. I would I say I would accept that as uh, as something to drive the story forward, and because uh, I didn't know where else they would have gone with it really to get uh, you know Linguini into the uh, into the kitchen, but it's always to get to get hold of the restaurant. So and also but so yeah, kind of in fact, in from, it's kind of funny because when I first saw this movie, I was thinking, oh, I get it. Maybe Remy sometime in the movie is going to show Linguini um, the will that maybe uh, that he is um, Gusto's son and maybe he's going to try to win back the restaurant. But it doesn't really go into that direction. And I actually give kind of kudos to that because um, they could have easily played into that trope. It's like, oh, you know, Gusto is my father and you never told me. So I own the restaurant. You can't tell us what to do, Skinner. And mm-hmm. I'm going to let you go because, you know, I own this restaurant now. I, they never actually play that. And it, it, it's actually really surprising. Yeah, it's sort of implied, which I think is probably better. And uh, it's Yeah, it's implied. Montage. It's not like in your face and uh, which I'm sure that it would have been easily done. Mm-hmm. 
So um, we go through this whole whole scene, and then we get to uh, actually we actually skips over a bit, surprisingly enough. And uh, that is, um, you know, um, Linguini is going to reveal to Colette that uh, he's got Remy on his head, and uh, but then uh, Remy uh, to save uh, save the save the big reveal uh, ends up um, you know dragging Linguini into a kiss with Colette, and uh, Colette uh, you know is about to spray him with mace. <laughs> And uh, that's, uh, I tell you what, even though I knew that probably wasn't going to happen, I knew that. Um, um, yeah, she yeah. she really didn't seem like she was going to be into that. Yeah, you, I just thought you know there is still a possibility that he's going to get a face full of face full of pepper. So, uh, but so that didn't happen. So and that's the great thing about yeah, Colette was so believable as a strong woman character that you would you wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know he ended up like nailing Linguini in the balls or something like that. You know, it just it oh, was. Oh uh, jeez. <laughs> It's like uh, you know, you expect that, and uh, one little thing I, I liked about that after that scene, I, I love the details they play through this. You know, where, where I remember when um, Colette was saying to Linguini about uh, you know making sure you keep your sleeves uh, up so you have neat sleeves, and also you eliminate cuts and bruises and stuff. And even though she says you uh, you know eliminate the the minor of cuts and bruises, she didn't have like perfect arms. You can see that she's like you know scraped herself in places you know in, in here and there. And, uh, you know, that's what I liked about, you know, you can see Pixar starting to get more, uh, you know, detailed with the, um, with, 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 with the, with the graphics and everything. And, uh, you know, with the mo- with the character models, you can see like on her, uh, on her left arm, you can see that she's like, you know, got like a burn or something like yeah. that. And, you know, I really love things like that. And, uh, well, yeah, you can definitely uh, see about how uh, much the CGI has improved uh, since looking back at Toy Story. Yeah. And after, uh, you know, um, uh, Linguini, uh, you know, Linguini and Colette become official, uh, you can see that Colette's uh, reapplied her lipstick. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> I love those little touches. I really do. And, yeah, uh, those are great. Yeah. So um, that continues, and but then um, you know everything seems to be going great. But then um, um, Remy realizes that uh, he's starting to kind of lose control a little bit. So um, you know Colette suggests using an ingredient that he doesn't want to use, but uh, um, Linguini takes it anyway uh, to Remy's uh, disapproval. And uh, then uh, there's a, a very uh, that's the thing I like about this film as well that the scenes are so. Um, you know, they're, they're so metaphorical and that they're so um, they, they, they're so descriptive within how you feel about things. So, you know, when you got, um, you know, um, Remy feeling, you know, all alone and feeling uh, uh, lonely, like in the sewer, you know, like he really, they really do hammer in how he's like, he's kind of lost his way in the sewer and that he's like on this really wild, uh, you know, adve- you know, really wild, you know, you know, adventure through the sewer pipes. And uh, they show how, you know, how, dangerous it all is and stuff and then you have like uh, you know uh, Colette and Linguini on the motorcycle you know dashing down the street and then Remy being left behind and uh, I love how they use uh, so much iconography throughout the uh, through it all and uh, yeah and that's that's another thing when the when the film elements are you know not just the dialogue not just the characters but the actual elements within the film itself you know, feels on board with the narrative. That's 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 the that's the sign of a spectacular film, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. And this, that's what we've got here. So um, Remy gets knocked off the motorcycle. He then re- he then basically reverts basically back to not being having a human's control. He ends up basically being a rat again, and um, he gets attacked in the street and stuff like that. And he has to hide in the sewer. 
And uh, then it gets even better because, um, well, you know, quote unquote, because he's actually found his family again, and uh, he's actually returned to the, um, uh, the 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 colony. But he decides he's not going to stay with them, and instead he's going to stay with Linguini. And, yeah, uh, and his father is like, "What do you mean by that, son? You belong with us. You belong with the Rat family." And he's not interested in staying with them anymore. He wants to be with Linguini and he wants to fulfill his dreams of being a chef. Yeah. So then um, Django tries to scare him into um, going back and saying that humans are not, you know, will kill you if you try and do anything. And uh, that's just the way things are. And uh, I tell you what, this, uh, this, this makes you back Remy even more because he says that change is nature and, uh, you know, we have to move forward. And, um, you know, it's, uh, is optimi- maybe it's a little bit over optimistic, but uh, I think it just strengthens Remy's character rather than goes against him. So, yeah. yeah. And you can understand where Django is coming from that humans do not like vermin. They are, um, against rats. If you, if you see a rat, especially in a restaurant, then yeah, they're going to kill you. They're going to call the exterminator and they're going to have you dead. So he's really concerned for his son. He doesn't want to be the bad guy in this situation. He just wants to let him know that it's a dangerous world out there and that, you know, the rats have to stick together. Mm-hmm. So um, Remy tries to become more human, I guess. And so he ends up coming out of the sewer and uh, giving uh, a human a look. And uh, well, right, and that, then they get the uh, scene where that human basically smashes into, a, into the back of a car <laughs> while looking at like this rat basically going, hey, like uh, doing the whole, you know, uh, pointing the fingers and stuff. And uh, then he comes back and then realizes that uh, um, uh, Linguini has been up all night cleaning along with... Uh, um, you know, uh, also being quite um, hungover as well, and so he ends up having to try and control him, but uh, it doesn't go very well. And uh, yeah, how how often do you see in kids' movies where somebody gets drunk? I mean, sure, we've had like um, uh, Dumbo, in which you know you have the pink elephant scene, and uh, we had um, Gay Paris, in which we had the scene in which the cats they drink the wine and they start having that bubble sequence. But yeah, I don't think in Pixar we've seen this up to this point. No, so. Um... That so yeah, I, I really like that. And then um, we uh, obviously we go through that, and we go to the um, point where Linguini is um, you know owning the restaurant, and uh, he's obviously in front of the press, and uh, you can start to see more of the deterioration of uh, the relationship between uh, you know um, Linguini and Remy, because um, you know uh, so one of the proposals asked you know oh, can we what you know how do you realize about you know we're owning the restaurant and. Uh, Linguini says, oh, do you want to know the truth? And he just says, oh, well, I'm a Gusto, and I've just known it this entire time, but gives Remy absolutely no credit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we can assume that um, that's how he was, uh, you know, like off camera, that's how he was able to find out that he was Gusto's son. Yeah. But, uh, and um, you know, it's really sad that he doesn't give Remy any credit. But then again, he would sound like a complete maniac. It's like, yeah, uh, this little rat on my head was teaching me how to cook things. <laughs> like, that was not really weird. But here's, here's the thing about it, though, because, you know, Remy didn't even want to kind of be found out to begin with. So he already gave, um, you know, uh, Linguini the intention that he wanted to stay hidden. So because he, he thought if he. Uh, um, cause so, you know, you can't blame Linguini in that situation for like saying, oh, well, you know, you didn't want to reveal yourself in front of Colette. So why on earth would you want to reveal yourself in front of the press? So, you know, you can kind of sympathize with, uh, Linguini on that part. 
So they start falling out, and then eventually it gets to a point where um, uh, he, he knocks Remy out of his uh, out of his toga and says, "You know, you need a timeout." And uh, that's that's the end of that. And uh, but uh, then it uh, gets to the point where Remy ends up r- rounding up all his 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 family to basically raid the um, the, the pantry uh, to uh, and also get all the to get all the food. And uh, but then. In the midst of doing that, uh, he ends up getting caught by uh, Linguini, and then obviously there's that uh, big old fallout. That uh, I don't know. When you say it's kind of, I mean, obviously it's 2007, so I don't think that uh, I'm not sure if that cliche had really like really caught on at that time yet. So uh, which, um, but I don't know. How, how do you feel about the fact that we had this whole, you know, oh the 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 heroes have fallen out, and then eventually they'll get back together again. You know. So. Yeah, it's already been done to death at this point. Mm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I guess for 2007 standards, maybe it wasn't like showcase as much, especially for like, um, you know, like for uh, what you call it, like a simple kids film. I mean, you would see that maybe in like adult rom-coms or something like that, or, you know, at least it's not like a liar reveal. Mm-hmm. And during this whole situation, uh, Anton Ego uh, finds out that uh, the, 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 um, the mo- you know, the, uh, the restaurant has become popular again and comes to, uh, uh, visit, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, Gusto's in quite a very um, threatening fashion, and uh, I love the uh, the back and forth between Linguini and Ego, like saying that you know, oh, uh, you know, you're um, you're quite slow for someone who's uh, you know in the fast lane, and uh, then Linguini shoots back says, oh, you're quite thin for someone who likes food, and so <laughs> a, right, yeah, that, that was a, that was a good shoot back, and so uh, so there was there was that bit, and. Um, yeah, it's just it's. Uh, so I'm just losing losing track a little bit. So um, that happens, and then so you have the fallout between uh, Linguini and uh, and 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 uh, and Remy, and uh, but then Remy gets captured by uh, Skinner and is caged up, and uh, so at this point, you know, Remy has totally lost everything, you know, at this point, and he's looking at the future of us, uh, you know, doing frozen food, and we get the final um, uh, conversation with uh, Gusto, and. Uh, so basically says to him, "Look, you've never needed me to begin with. You know, you know, in your heart what you wanted to, what you wanted to be." And uh, right, yeah. I mean, technically, he never even existed. It wasn't like he was the actual ghost of Cousteau. It was something that came out of Remy's imagination. Yeah, I'm really, again, I'm really, you know, you've already said it before, but I'm really glad they did that. You know, rather than basically having it, oh, it's the ghost of Cousteau. It's like you know, wanting to get like revenge or something like that. I'm really glad they didn't go in that direction. So yeah, that is true. Yeah. So um, uh, Django manages to free him. From uh, from from the boot of the car, and uh, by dropping uh, stone statues on him, and some people are telling me that that was a reference to Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I uh, like, uh, which was quite quite strange, but okay. So uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because you know it's they're both take they both take take place in Paris. Yeah. So that so that that bit, bit happens, and then they uh, so Remy goes running back to the kitchen, and uh, Django says, "Well, why do you care if he fails?" And he says, "Because I'm a cook." And so well, I, I like that bit. And um, so the whole kitchen's demoralized at the moment because, uh, you know, Anthony Ego's about to get, uh, has walked in and uh, um, Linguini's way out of his league. He has no idea what to do and because uh, he's not got Remy anymore. And um, then so he um, ends up basically running into the into Gusto's office and uh, basically locking himself away. But uh, then uh, Remy walks into the kitchen and he's about to get killed by all, every single member of the uh, of 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 the of the team until uh, Linguini steps in front of him and says, "Don't touch him," 
And uh, I felt there was a little bit of a Hey Arnold reference there, a little bit. You know, it's twenty years Yeah, wait, like, don't touch him. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you have to make him wait a day. <laughs> so um, uh, then the big reveal has happened, and uh, you know, I'm really glad they went with this idea of people just like walking out on Linguini rather than basically trusting him. Because you know, couldn't you couldn't you have imagined that uh, you know they would have like gone along with it? And said, oh, you know, well, you believed I could cook, so, you know, why, why not believe Remy? And then everyone kind of like, you know, nodding their heads saying, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then they end up cooking and, uh, you know, doing this really good dish and, you know, antics and Sue. I'm really glad that uh, they went with the whole thing of, like, everyone just walks out. And, uh, you know, well, which is extremely valid, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you got, oh, and, and, you know, the, the, the one person that's, you know, at one point I thought everyone had walked out, but Colette didn't. And I thought, you know, oh, they're going to do the whole thing where she, you know, believes in him. But no, she's got tears in her eyes and she can't believe it. And she's really angry about it. And uh, she walks out too. Now, there is one thing I would like to suggest about this. Now, before anyone, you know, has a go at me, I am a Linguini Colette shipper. So, uh, you know, I really do like the idea of them being together. And, uh, you know, I even wrote a, even tried to have a go at writing a, a fan fiction sequel of them being together, but, uh, um, I don't know, wouldn't it have been more powerful if, um, you know, Colette never came back, you know, in the, uh, you know, afterwards, and, like, you know, like, Linguini had literally lost everything, and then the rats had that, to basically... That would take some serious balls. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I would like to have, like, seen them, like, build the relationship up, and, uh, you know, maybe a bit more, and maybe add a bit more, you know, uh, you know, because when Colette and Linguini finally get together in the, um, you know, somewhere in the second act, you know, it didn't really, um, you know, they didn't really, like, gel the relationship. You know, they, 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 they like, you know, say, that, oh, yeah, they're definitely together. But uh, it would have been nice if, like, showed a bit more emotion between the two or, like, they found, like, a bit more trustworthiness towards each other. Yeah, right? I, I definitely do agree. I think that yeah. some of the side characters definitely could have had a little bit more... Um, development especially with those two i mean you would have really liked to see more of that or if not if colette really wanted to leave then yeah it would have been really interesting to find out what linguini would have been like if he had nobody to help him out in his time of need and mm -hmm. um, yeah so um in a way you know for you know because i like shipping them together i guess i you know i guess i'm really glad she did come back and uh she uh you know helped out with uh you know uh, getting the ratatouille ready and uh, for 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 ego, and uh, so all the rats come together and uh, Colette finally comes back after she realizes. So when she looks at the book and uh, in the bookstore, when she's like uh, you know driving home uh, on a motorcycle and uh, she sees um, you know anyone can cook again, and then she comes to the realization, oh yeah, maybe it's not just humans, anyone can cook, you know, even that rat. And so she comes back, and uh, though surprisingly enough, she thought she, you know, she was, she thought she's going to be sick before she comes back, and um, you know, Linguini has to basically try, has to drag her back in before she before she does, and so um, yeah, that that whole how that whole played out, I really loved that, and uh, I'm really glad that she, even though I thought it'd be more effective if she basically never came back, but I'm really glad that she did. So, yeah, uh, it, it does leave it uh, much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ego gets served the Ratatouille, and uh, it ends up being uh, the way his mum used to make it, which I thought was <laughs> I thought that was brilliant, I thought. Yeah, in fact, I, I think I even mentioned this to you before in uh, one of the episodes of the Iron Meta show, but when uh, Super Mario Odyssey was first announced, and everybody was like looking at the trailer, uh, one, somebody made a GIF 
of um, that scene in Ratatouille in which when he was eating the Ratatouille, it reminded him of his, of his mom's. Hmm. Um, they took the Ratatouille and instead put it in like Super Mario Odyssey and then he starts eating it. And then it has flashbacks of his mom of making him the Ratatouille and instead it's Super Mario 64. <laughs> That's brilliant. Okay, and so... Um, he really loves it, and um, but Skinner's been watching everything play out for the whole the whole time, and uh, he thought that Remy had been locked up in the boat of his car, and so he um, eats the uh, ratatouille himself, which he also ordered, and uh, he he can't believe how good it is, and so he what he storms into the kitchen and, and asks her, who cooked that ratatouille? I demand to know, and he sees the entire army of rats. And uh, so he ends up getting locked up in the pantry, and uh, also uh, there's a health inspector who also gets locked up in there as well. And so, oh, there's there's just so much to talk about in this film. It's like it's it's just so jam packed full of stuff. And this is one thing I thought that was going to go against the film. I thought the fact that there's so much in it. I mean, you've got the romantic atmosphere of France. You've got the relationship between uh, Remy and uh, Linguini. You've got uh, you know uh, Linguini ex uh, Colette. You've got Skinner. You've got Ego. You've got the uh, all the other characters as well who don't even get fleshed out that much. They're basically just told, oh, they're just like you know. Uh, they're buccaneers, they're, uh, you know, they're rebels, pretty much, you know, oh, this guy was in the resistance, this guy killed somebody, this guy did this, this guy did that, and uh, it's just, the the one thing I guess I will say is that, uh, you know, uh, the story is quite loaded, but at least it's not loaded enough to the point where, you know, you don't really know what's going on, you know, you definitely get a, a good understanding of what the main story is, and all the side stories around it. So. Yeah, they kept the focus on what was most important, as opposed to like trying to develop everything equally or having one thing and then five minutes later having this other thing and then the uh, the previous thing was never mentioned again and suddenly it's just making like a complete mess. So yeah, it's actually a much more coherent story, even though that there's a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. So um, ego uh, can't believe what he's eaten, and so he demand he wants to you know he's uh, absolutely. Uh, in love with his food, and so he wants to congratulate. He wants to say, gives his compliments to the chef, but um, um, Linguini. He thought he was Linguini this entire time. In actual fact, he's actually been waiting tables during this whole this whole scene on rollerblades of all things. So you know, that's the thing I would have thought about. Like you know, you're in a you're in a free star restaurant, I guess. So I guess maybe that is something for maybe leeway. And uh, and then he's like, here's a, the waiter on rollerblades trying to like you know do this whole thing. Like when you space that in like you know like a luxury you know. Luxury restaurant in France, but uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you would think about something like that in a 1950s diner or <laughs> uh, a defunct toy store with a panda mascot. <laughs> yeah, gee, I wonder what that's a reference to. But yeah, uh, <laughs> um, so they uh, so Colette comes out next, and uh, Ego thinks, Oh, he's she's the chef, and uh, Colette just says to, Okay, if you want to meet the chef, you have to wait for all the customers to go. And so he says, so be it. And so he stays until the very late hours of the night. And uh, then they reveal that this entire time it's been uh, Remy. And uh, they even demonstrate to him him cooking the ratatouille and uh, doing everything else. So uh, uh, Ego walks out, says thank you for the meal, and walks out without a word. And uh, I, I love this bit afterwards because you get to see, you know, uh, Colette and Linguini, you know, uh, rekindle their love. And then you get to see them basically you know, uh, up all night, uh, you know, not wondering what's going to happen next. So, uh, you know, they're having a sleepless night. 
And then, uh, you know, Remy decides, oh, I'm not going to go back with Linguini and I'm not going to go back with my, my family. And uh, which makes me wonder, well, what did Remy do all that night? You know, did he spend, all that, did he literally spend that entire night staring at the Eiffel Tower? Like, you know. Just... <laughs> yeah, you have like one of those like dramatic moments in which they're like staring into the abyss and you have like this dramatic music playing in the background. It's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. Yeah. And I would probably be doing something, but I just, I just want to stare out. I'm, I'm mesmerized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, the, um, I love this quote for um, the, the very end of Ratatouille. And so I thought I'll read it out to everybody. And because uh, I think this, this uh, from, from Anton Ego, you know, I think is, uh, is the, is the, is the line I loved. I love throughout the entire lot. And this is, he says this, and for the review, for Gusto's, in many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to, to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designated it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is the discovery and the defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations, the new needs of friends. Last night I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross misunderstatement. They have rocked me to my core. And that is actually a pretty big statement, I think. Uh, not just for this film, but kind of, you know, I guess, maybe, you know, you and I and everyone else who basically does these types of shows. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're pretty cruel with things that are, you know, quite average. But uh, at the same time, you know, when something new comes out and it is actually good, you know, there are times that people have to step out and, you know, definitely defend it. So, yeah, um, it's true, especially since, um, you know, there's so many people out there that r- would rather um, criticize something that is either mediocre or really bad. And then the things that are like really good, it either goes one of two directions. It's either overshadowed by the bad or it's absolutely praised and um, it gets the, the recognition that it deserves. Mm-hmm. So that's the the review that uh, comes in Ego's uh, column, and uh, everyone is a jubilant. And then the health inspector shuts them down. And uh, it's just, yeah. You, you think that would be like the you know uh, you know like they'd be like a comedic uh, thing that they would do on Newgrounds, you know, like a, like a parody or something like that. But no, that's <laughs> that's the end of Gusto's. You know, the health inspector comes, they finds about finds out about us all the rats and shuts the whole place down. And uh, yeah. because of that, it is essentially like, you know, somebody from Newgrounds created this like really hilarious video game parody and then immediately it gets blamed. <laughs> so um, the um, ego loses his job and his credibility as a food critic because he praised a restaurant full of rats. But uh, he's actually now a, inve- he's now a small business investor and uh, he's now uh, funding a new restaurant run by Linguini, Colette and Remy and uh, known as La Ratatouille. And, uh, this this the ending of this film is very sweet. You know the fact that they have their own little place now, and uh, Remy now is a place to be basically a cook for you know humans and rats, and uh, it's a place where people you know can you know it's a very trendy place you know and stuff. And uh, you know it's like I'm really I'm re- the for ending of this film is really good. 
and uh, it really definitely leaves it to the point where you know you can uh, definitely say it's a happy ending but uh, i don't know it does leave me wanting more you know, uh, I really would like to... If, if a Pixar do do a, a, a sequel to another Pixar film, I would really love to see them do Ratatouille again. Yeah, yeah that would be kind of interesting. Maybe kind of um, find out what the characters are up to. Maybe there's another restaurant that's uh, in competition or maybe another character we get to see from their perspective. So, yeah, maybe as soon as Brad Bird is done with The Incredibles 2, then maybe he can work on Ratatouille 2, which I'm sure will come out in the year 2030. Yeah, Ratatouille. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, uh, you're a genius yeah it's better than fan Fostick, you gotta admit so uh, true <laughs> yeah because i i came up with the idea that uh you know linguini and colette's relationship would, would be blossoming you know linguini was gonna you know uh ask colette to marry her in uh, at least in my idea of the sequel and uh, then they'd be competing with like this chinese restaurant that's like moved in like you know uh quite a way away but it's uh, actually run by organized crime and then uh, out of nowhere uh, Colette's visited by an old friend from England who uh, you know himself was um, you know what was going to be like some kind of like you know uh, pioneering chef but uh, then he uh, fell into trouble with like uh, you know with like the mob and stuff and so he's been hiding out ever since and so it's uh, yeah it's uh, would have been fun and so over that I would have stuck in some like a reference to B&L and like you know, so like uh, you know, while everyone else is like you know enjoying all the food, like you know uh, this uh, character which I created from England uh, likes you know basically buying supermarket brand basic stuff and like just, eat, just eating and drinking all of that. And so uh, it's uh, so there'd be B and L branding stuff everywhere, which I thought would be kind of funny. So uh, yeah, so uh, that's uh, everyone should be pretty happy that it just stays as fan fiction and doesn't actually come come true so hopefully Pixar isn't going to be hiring me anytime soon for, for uh, Ratatouille yes, sequels please hire Aaron for Ratatouille <laughs> but yeah so uh, scores out of 10 I give this a 9 you know I think uh, while it's it is the my favourite Pixar film of all you know it's uh, it does have its problems but uh, let me safely say this everything shines brilliantly the things that it gets right it gets 100% right and so it definitely uh, it definitely is one i would you know of all the pixar films if anyone was going to watch one i definitely say ratatouille has to be the one you have to watch uh yeah i definitely give it a nine out of ten as well if you are a person who loves nice animation humor romance um and just if you're a foodie then this movie is highly recommended to check out it's actually a really interesting perspective of an unlikely character doing such amazing things and going against all obstacles and yeah all the characters are great the story's great the the scenes are absolutely beautiful. The music is amazing. Sure, there are a few problems here and there, but um, it doesn't overweigh the fact that this movie is absolutely incredible. I mean, no, no pun intended, but no, seriously, uh, highly recommend you guys check this movie out. Yeah. And so that's another episode of uh, Pix Mix, uh, done and dusted. And just to let you guys know, um, if, you, if you're here in the UK, uh, Coco finally makes its uh, release on 19th of January. So uh, if you're trying to save yourself for spoilers on Coco uh, after uh, January the 19th, you can definitely go check me out. So I'll repost it back up uh, once uh, the release date's happened, and uh, so you can definitely check out there. So cool. Uh, if you want to check me out, it's arometa.co.uk. Uh, for my website, and uh, if you want to uh, find me on facebook.com forward slash show at show for Twitter, uh, arometa.tumblr.com, and you can also find me on YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash show. 
And if you want to find out where my work is, you can check me out at oldschoollane.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at Patty underscore B underscore Miranda, Facebook.com slash oldschoollane, YouTube.com slash PBM717. I am currently working on a few projects for Manic Expressions Manic Month. Um, can't say really too much about it yet, but I will be revealing it maybe within the end of the month. And also, I am uh, put it, putting out a poll on what you guys would like to see my next video be. Uh, so far, I have um, top 20 list uh, from Pilots of Final Product on Wild and Crazy Kids. The debut of Heroic Jimmer Junk, which is discussing about overlooked or forgotten superhero movies and TV shows and whether they deserve to be forgotten or remembered. And Influential Marvel, which is another show that I want to debut, which is not about Marvel. It's about groundbreaking or influential movies, TV shows, video games, what have you, and what it influenced in our pop culture. So... Uh, yes, follow me on Twitter, and uh, you can cast your vote. Uh, it'll be over in a couple of days, so um, please uh, let me know what you guys want to see me do next. Okay, so uh, I'm really excited about that, actually. That's gonna be sound, that sounds really cool. Okay, so uh, from me, Aaron. And Patricia. Take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later. <laughs>